Let me add uh, my welcome uh, to anybody who's uh, visiting or here for the first time or the first in a while. It's, it's wonderful to have you here. It's wonderful to be together on this Easter day, so happy Easter. And let me uh, start with a story, one of my uh, favourite little stories, this one. Once upon a time, there was a young girl whose parents took her to the shrine of the Golden Arches. There she saw an opportunity to buy a combination of food and a little toy that someone in a fit of marketing genius had called the Happy Meal. May I have it please, she asked her parents. I must have it. I don't think I can live without it. No, her parents told her. The toy is just some trivial thing that's enabled the price of this meal to be raised well beyond its actual worth. It's not in the budget. We can't do it. But you don't understand, she said. She knew that she wouldn't just be buying fries, McNuggets and a Kung Fu Panda toy. They would be buying happiness. She was convinced that she had a little McVacuum in her soul, that her soul was restless until it found its rest in this happy meal. And so she said, I must have it. I've never wanted anything more in my whole life and if I get it, I will never ask for anything again, ever. No more complaining, no more demanding. If you get me that Happy Meal, I will be fully content for the rest of my life. Her parents decided that that seemed like a good deal and so they bought it. And it worked. She grew up to be a contented, grateful, joyful woman. She lived with serenity and peace and grace rarely seen. Her life in many ways was hard. There were many setbacks, many disappointments along the way. But she never complained. She had gotten the Happy Meal. She would think of it often. I remember that Happy Meal, she would say. What great joy I found there, just as I had predicted. Now let me ask you, does life ever work that way? Of course not. And you think after a while that kids would catch on, that that they'd learn that the Happy Meal does not bring lasting happiness. That only a child would be that naive. Or maybe not. Maybe what happens as we get older, we don't necessarily get smarter, we just get more complicated and more expensive happy meals. The fact is we long to be happy and we long for that happiness not to be short-lived and partial but full and lasting. We are wired up to pursue that sort of happiness. And for me, here is the wonder of Easter. Easter Day is all about showing us the way to be happy fully happy and forever. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help us as we see once more the wonderful news of Easter Day that we would see the happiness and the joy that comes from this hope. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you as we have just sung that you do speak to us. We thank you that this Easter Day you speak words of hope to us. Help us to see their truth and in that truth see the wonder and the happiness that Easter brings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully uh, inside your service sheets, as was mentioned before, you can see uh, the passage that we're looking at uh, together today, Acts 2. It's on the back of the songs that we're going to sing during communion and it's worth having that open, Acts chapter 2, as we look at it together. Well, what does full and lasting happiness actually look like? If you move your eyes down to sentence 26, verse 26 of our passage, there you see the Bible describe it. My heart is glad, my tongue rejoices and my body also will live in hope. 
It's an amazing trio, isn't it? A glad heart, a joyful tongue and a body living in hope. Can you imagine life like that? Easter Day makes the claim that life shaped by these three things is indeed the certain hope for all who believe in Jesus Christ. And the wonderful thing is that that hope isn't based on wishful thinking or a whim. It's based on the truth of Jesus' resurrection. The passage we have in front of us comes from the second book by the Apostle Luke, one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. The first book he wrote we also have in the Bible, the Gospel according to Luke, where he accounts the life and the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. It's an account he wrote, and I quote from that first book, after carefully investigating everything from the beginning. Carefully investigating it so as to give an orderly account so that we may be certain of these things. You see, Luke is a historian. His goal in describing Jesus' life to us is to tell us the truth so we might be certain. And so his first book, his gospel, outlines Jesus' life, the miracles that he did, the the sure signs that he was indeed God's son. He outlines Jesus' teaching, his clear and decisive claims that he is none other than God himself with authority on earth to forgive our sins. And then he records his shocking death that we remembered on Good Friday, a death for the sins of the whole world. And then he details the joy of the news that first Easter day when Jesus truly rose from the dead. He details how Jesus showed them his body, his hands, his feet, his side, how he ate with them, he walked with them, he talked with them, that Jesus was alive. And as we move to this Dr Luke's second book, simply known as you can see on the top of the sheet there as Acts, this historical account now of Jesus' risen life continues. In the previous chapter to the one we have in front of us, Luke says this, After Jesus' death, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for a period of over 40 days. You see, through carefully outlining the evidence, Luke is showing us what Easter Sunday is all about. It's not a day of fairy tales. It's not a day of Easter bunnies and chocolate eggs. This is a day of real and lasting happiness based on real and truthful events that have changed everything. You see, Easter Sunday declares this wonderful news and you can see it there in verse 24 of our passage. God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, Easter testifies that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, that in a world of false hope, in a world of short-lived hope, there is such a thing as true and lasting hope. That's the news that excited the disciples that first Easter. And one of the things that they were doing in, in those days when Jesus was with them and soon afterwards was exploring the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, to see the wonderful promises that God had made now being fulfilled before their very eyes fulfilled in those first Easter days. They began to join the dots between all the things that God had promised and the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the passage before us today, we have one of the Old Testament promises that most excited them. In this case, the disciple Peter, who is speaking in our passage. You see there in verse 27, he quotes an old promise, an old psalm, when he says, "'You will not abandon me to the grave, "'nor will you let your Holy One see decay.'" You see there, verse 27? It's a declaration made by an old king of Israel, perhaps the greatest king, King David, 
But as Peter goes on to say in Acts 2, David did die and he was buried and his body did see decay as happens to us all. And yet if you look closely in Acts 2, it tells us, you see it there in verse 25, that David wasn't saying these things about himself. He was speaking about him. He was speaking about Jesus. It's made even clearer if you look down to verse 31. Seeing what was ahead, David spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. David knew that when Jesus came, he would turn the path that every single one of us is on around. And Peter knew that because he had seen it with his very eyes. He was an eyewitness of the fact. He had seen death work backwards. He had seen verse 27 fulfilled before his eyes and we have it recorded for us here. You see, Easter Day declares for us the certain historical event of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. And yet even knowing that that is true, even being certain that he rose from the dead, can leave one asking on a day like today, so what? What's that actually got to do with me? What's it got to do with the rest of today, the, the, the roast lamb I'm about to enjoy and then life from that point? So what? Well, here's the wonder of Easter. Jesus invites us to share that hope too. Listen to these words of Jesus from John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He who believes in me will live even though they'll die. The bold claim that Easter makes on the back of real and credible evidence of Jesus' own resurrection is that those who trust in his forgiveness bringing death and his life bringing resurrection can say of their own life, I will not be abandoned to the grave, nor will my body see decay. Now let me tell you why that's such a wonderful hope. Let me show you the sort of life that comes from having a real and lasting hope like that. It's what we were speaking about at the start. It is a life of happiness, full and lasting happiness. Have a look at verse 28. This is the sort of life that comes from it, the sort of path that lies ahead of those who trust this evidence. You have made known to me the paths of life. Now think about it. Truth is, the way we live as humans is of those not on the path of life, but on the path to death. We have life now, we enjoy life now, but we know it's limited. We know there is a distinct end point. We know that is coming. We are on the path that leads to death, not life. Easter Day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the promise of resurrection for those who believe, turns all that around. For those who trust him now walk the path to life, eternal life. Now what would it feel like to live as someone who is on that path? Not a path of death, but a path that leads to life. Well, have a look again at verse 26. See those three characteristics. And here you see the the characteristics of that sort of life. A glad heart, a joyful tongue and a body that lives in hope. It's an amazing trio, isn't it? Can you imagine life marked by these three things? A glad heart, a joyful tongue and a body that lives in hope. If you think about it, if if you look truthfully at life in the 21st century, it is by no means characterised by these things. 
It's far more likely that our hearts are marked by discontent rather than gladness. And test your own heart. I'm sure for all of us there are moments of gladness, perhaps even whole passages of our life where we can say, oh, I'm glad of heart. But to say I am happy, fully and ongoingly happy, without exception, it seems a stretch, doesn't it? Especially when you look ahead and you see the path that you are on. It's easy, for instance, to feel discontent with our career. When you find yourself stuck or frustrated that that, that this is your life's work, this is what I'm doing with this one life that ends, all my eggs are in this basket and we expect that life, that work, that career to provide all our identity and purpose and it's hard for a career not to struggle under the weight of those expectations. It's hard not to feel discontent. Is this all there is? Or perhaps our heart is marked by discontent when it comes to relationships. It's easy to find yourself in a situation where your relationships, the ones you have, are disappointing, not nearly as joyful as you'd hoped. Perhaps marriage is a struggle and you never thought it would be. Or caring for your family as they struggle with ill health is just draining. Or perhaps it's a relationship that we don't have that breeds this discontent. And then there is a discontent about our possessions. Do you feel that? Hard not to, especially at the moment. I mean, I read the other day that the the average value of a house in the UK has fallen some 20%. How can you not feel discontent? Something completely out of your control. Someone comes along and they slice 20% off your value. Where is the gladness of heart? And secondly, you know your heart is marked by discontent from times when your tongue is marked by words not of joy but frustration or cynicism or complaint or resentment. When your conversation increasingly betrays a heart and a life that is not happy, not satisfied, that wants something more, something different, some sort of change. And finally, not only is the 21st century human experience so often marked by discontent and frustration, even our physical bodies do not live in hope, as verse 26 would have it. First, there is the the constant media bombardment on our lives, telling us to be unhappy with our bodies. You need this product or or that product or the latest Neutrogena miracle goo to reverse the effects of ageing. Or perhaps the more extreme surgical options, all designed to shift us perhaps a few steps back on the path that we know leads to death, not life. Then there is the reality of ageing, of poor health, of succumbing to the deterioration of our bodies that we can't prevent, whether it be over time or whether it be the ravages of some cruel disease. Let me ask you seriously, How can a body ever live in hope when death is so certain? How can a heart be glad and a tongue rejoice when life is limited and frustrating? Easter declares there is a way. The way of life, not death. The way that leads to the sure and certain hope that my body will not be abandoned to the grave, nor will it see decay. Now don't get me wrong at this point, Acts 2 here, the Bible isn't claiming that if you put your trust in Jesus' resurrection that your life from this point on will be one long stretch of sunshine and moonbeams. It won't. 
In fact, the disciple who speaks these words in Acts 2, the disciple Peter, went on to live an extremely difficult life. A life that ended in a a horrible death on a cross, just like the one he was trusting. And yet he says these words elsewhere. In spite of all of that, he says, What a God we have. He has given us a new start, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so in this I greatly rejoice, though now for a little while I may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I know that I have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade because it is kept in heaven for me. How can a body ever live in hope when death is so certain? How can a heart be glad and a tongue rejoice? Easter says there is a way, the way of life. A way that says, even when troubles come, do you see it in verse 25? I know God is at my side, I will not be shaken. A way that says, even when life ends, even when death comes and tries to do its worst, all it will succeed in doing is bringing me face to face with my greatest joy. Verse 28, you will fill me with joy in your presence. At Easter, Jesus invites all who would come to join in the joy of being found in God's presence in heaven, filled with joy. Easter says to us, Jesus has defeated death, the great enemy that blocks our path back to God, back to life itself. He now says to sinners like you and I, people who have deliberately lived cut off from God, he says to us, come, in my cross find forgiveness, all the forgiveness you will ever need, And in my resurrection find a glad heart, a joyful tongue and a body that can live in hope. Knowing that all death does is bring you into the presence of the God who has created you, loves you and has prepared a never-ending banquet for those who trust him. Let me ask you, can you imagine what it would be like to live as if this earthly life was just the beginning? To to quote a a famous author, that that this life was but the cover and the title page before you began chapter one of the great story, the story that goes on forever, the story where each chapter is better than the one before. Sounds fanciful, doesn't it? The stuff of imagination. But it's not. Easter Day is not a day of myths and fairy tales and bunnies and eggs. This is a day that invites all who would come to real and lasting happiness based on real and truthful events that have changed everything. So let me ask you this Easter day, can you say this of yourself? I will not be abandoned to the grave, nor will my body see decay. I am on the path of life. I will be filled with joy in his presence. If you can, Know that even though life may throw all sorts of trials and troubles at you, you can be glad of heart. Your tongue can rejoice and your body certainly can live in hope. But if you don't know this hope, let me encourage you to make this Easter the one where you get to know it. To trust that Jesus' death and resurrection is enough. And if that's going to involve further investigation into his life and his death and his resurrection, then let me say that is well worth doing. This hope is sure and certain, tested. And let me give you one simple way to do that this Easter. I'm going to be standing at the door at the end of the service, as is 
Paul with me and I'm going to have a, a little booklet with me called The Real Easter which will help you to do just that, to investigate it further. So come grab one. I'd love you to take one. I'd love you to test out this hope because it is sure and certain. Uh, let me pray for us.